You are listening to the How to Talk to Girls podcast with me, Trip Kramer. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the How to Talk to Girls podcast. I'm your host, Trip Kramer from tripadvicecoaching.com. As you can see, today's episode is about creating sexual chemistry. That's right. How do you create sexual chemistry with a woman? Is it something that just happens to be there? Is it something that you can actually change or manipulate, so to speak? Can you manipulate it to a point where you can actually create the chemistry? Do you have control over that? All that and more on today's episode where I'm talking to Stephanie Ganowski, who is a sex coach, sexologist. She works with men and she is just full of a lot of great information where we're talking about the idea of sexual chemistry. Now, you have to understand sexual chemistry is something that you're usually going to be creating with someone that you are dating or eventually in a relationship with. You know, sometimes there's going to be some sexual chemistry when you first meet a girl. It will happen off the bat. But a lot of today's episodes talking about when you're going on dates with with a woman and you're getting to know her, you're spending a lot more time with her, can you create that sexual chemistry over that time period? Can you increase your sexual chemistry? Is there something you can do to help your sexual chemistry when you get further into a relationship? Okay, so all this is going to be explained on today's interview. This was a YouTube live that I did. So if you want to actually watch it live, or I should say watch it on YouTube, a former live, but watch it live, it is on my YouTube channel. If you don't want to do that, that's fine too. You can just listen and you can take some notes and you can learn. I really enjoyed this conversation and it's not something that I've ever talked about on the podcast. At least I don't think so. I've talked about chemistry before, but I've never really you know, have a deep dive into sexual chemistry or what it's like to have chemistry with someone on the sexual level versus, you know, normal chemistry, just chemistry with somebody when you like someone, when you get along, when you two are, you know, realizing that you guys are either starting to fall in love with each other or just have that special connection. So we're not talking about that stuff today. It's more on the sex side. Now, a lot of guys I know still have trouble with meeting women getting into the point where they can even create sexual chemistry? How do you get enough dates where you can have that opportunity? Or maybe there's guys out there who are listening who are getting plenty of dates. It's no problem. It's pretty easy, but you're not able to create any chemistry whatsoever. And so she doesn't want to see you after a second date or even a third date or even a first date. So how do you get women interested in you enough? How do you build attraction, get them invested in you to want to see you again? I teach that in my course called Hooked, which you can check out at getherhooked.com. That link is in the show notes. When you go to that link, you will be able to see a video on how my TED method is able to help attract more women into your life. If you go to the actual page where you purchase the product, you can scroll down and see a ton of testimonials from guys who have taken the the product, use the product, and have gotten results from it. So that should speak for itself. If you get this course, if you use it, if you take the advice, you are going to also get amazing results. Speaking of results, in Trips Corner, I'm so happy to announce one of our former clients and current members of Trips Corner, one of our, our former coaching clients, Ron, he is engaged. And uh, by the way, I know that I always say that we keep everyone 100% anonymous, but uh, Ron is totally cool with this. I've already talked to him about it. We even created a whole video where we talk about his results in the coaching program. He did a six-week coaching program, and just about a year later after learning everything, he ended up getting married, and uh, he's engaged. He posted a picture of him and his fiance wearing the ring. It is so cool. So, Rondell, bro, if you're listening, congratulations to you. You are crushing it. You can crush it too. Go to getterhooked.com. Check out my course to help you so you don't have to piece everything together with the with the podcast episodes. I know it can be tough sometimes to put it all together. If you want to take it to the next level, coaching is available. If you go to tripadvicecoaching.com, you can book a free call with me and my team where we can discuss coaching and explain exactly how it all works. So check those out. Links are in the show notes. 
And now it's time to learn about sexual chemistry with myself and Stephanie. Check it out. Stephanie, thank you so much for being here. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Trip. I'm excited to do this because, you know, we had a conversation the other day when you were on my podcast as a guest and it was just super fun. So I was really looking forward to this. Awesome. Yes. Uh, I was on her podcast last week. When is that episode being released? This coming Friday. This coming Friday. Awesome. Mm-hmm. And uh, why don't you tell everyone the name of your podcast, where they can find it, if they want to listen to that episode and more. Yeah. So it's what I love about sex is the name of the podcast. And I release new episodes every Friday and you can find it on Apple um, and Spotify. Cool. How long have you been doing that podcast for? Um, Almost six years, I think at this point. Oh, wow. Damn. You've been doing it for a while. I didn't realize that. Yeah. Yeah. Every week. Um, At one point I was doing two a week. um, So I'd like to get back to two a week, but, but yeah, for about six years. And it's just okay, been cool. like, yeah, really fun project. I love, I love doing podcast episodes. They're fun. So maybe let's get some history on you. So tell us how you got started in all of this, where you learned the things that you learned, but also, and then where, I'm curious, like where the podcast came into play with that. Like, did you create that before you started coaching or was it because you started coaching? So give us a little timeline here. It was 2017 when I got really interested in relationship coaching and I was going through this whole training program that was like six months long. Um, and I was super passionate about it. I was reading a ton of books about it. And I remember being on the beach in Santa Monica and I was just like, what if I did a podcast and just started it right now? And I, I forget what the platform was that I used, but it was one of the, I don't want to say like, Oh, what was it? It's one of those that everyone starts with, but it's not a reliable platform to use. So I was like, let me just use this because I'll probably delete it. So it won't even matter. And then I did it and I just started doing it like twice a week. And everyone who listened was like, oh, this is really good. This is great. And I was like, oh, cool. People are listening. So it was just like really exciting. And that was kind of probably at the same time when I actually launched my business and completed that training program for relationship coaching. And yeah, things just picked up from there, but I never, I never slowed down the podcast. I never stopped. Like it's just been a very consistent, probably the most consistent thing in my life (laughs) for the last six years. Nice. Yeah. I have the same thing with, uh, with the YouTube channel as well as the podcast, just putting out videos and podcasts every single week. And also like you going back and forth between one episode per week, two episodes per week, three, and, and, but keeping it going. I mean, that's, that's awesome. Yeah, no, it seems like a lot of people really like your podcast, a lot of uh, good reviews on there. And, uh, and yeah, this is, I hope that's enough credibility for you guys to know that Stephanie knows what she's talking about. That's why I'm having her on today. So yeah. Any other history, uh, anything else you want to say about your work and what you do, maybe how you help guys, something like that? Yeah. Well, I, um, I really, you know, after doing, being just in the relationship communication coaching space, after about three and a half years, I was getting tons of questions that were more specific to sex. And that's when I realized, oh, wow, like this is, this is something that there's not a lot of men, especially getting direct help with, like actually people speaking to men to help them with issues such as like dick related function, uh, dysfunctions or behavioral, like how to handle conflicts around sex with their partner and do it confidently and leave the ego aside and make it more about like connecting with the person. So I was like, oh, this is really actually really interesting. And I always loved the topic of sex. I always found it fascinating and very easy for me to talk about and just came very natural, just like having conversations about it, which for most people, it doesn't. So I was like, maybe I should lean into this as like a niche and, you know, take this a little further in the sex specific area. So that's when I found a sex sex school online to become a sexologist. And that was like a 15 month program wow. uh, that, yeah, that I finished in half time because I was so into it. Like I loved it. It was probably one of the most rewarding things I've done because I learned so much and I was immediately making content from it and helping people. And everyone was like, Whoa, this really helps. So I was like, you know, once again, getting really excited of like, this is working and like people value this, they like it. It's helpful. Um, and that just like felt so much better and more interesting going down that, 
that sex specific um, coaching area. So, so yeah, I've just been doing that for the last, you know, three years or so at this point, And I love it. Is there, is there anything as uh, in your profession for someone like you, is there anything that's even uncomfortable for you or something that maybe you learned in those seven, eight months that you were doing that program where you're like, whoa, this is intense. That's a good question because yeah, there were some things where, um, cause part of the program, they actually had a specific weekend where we had to, they kind of wanted us to, um, I think of, I think about it like a fraternity or sorority kind of like breaks you down in a sense to make you, uh, I don't want to like speak badly about it, but there was, uh, this weekend where, what'd you say? Like they haze you? No, they don't, they don't haze, but they like, they make you view things and look at certain porns that like, you know, would definitely put you out of your comfort zone, but they like make you be a part of it. It's like, you have to watch it. You have to like, get sort of like accustomed to like, Hey, this is what people are into. And you have to know what it looks like towards sort of thing. So there's no real backing away from it, even though it makes you very uncomfortable. And of course, you know, if you don't want to complete the program or you don't want to do it, you could just leave the program, but then you're leaving the program. So there was definitely this, this part of the program that felt kind of like, uh, okay, this makes me really uncomfortable, like viewing these things. I don't necessarily want to. I'm going to need, I'm gonna need examples here. Oh, you're really bringing me back there. <laughs> you can't even say it. Can basically you? telling you it was emotionally traumatizing. <laughs> oh, it was. Are you? Are we being? Are you literally traumatizing, or are you just saying the word? Um, not. Yeah, I shouldn't. I shouldn't use words that I'm not. You know, serious. About. I mean, well, I mean, if it is, I'll back off. But if it's not, I, I want the. I want. I want the. Yeah, team. yeah. Um, I mean, to a certain extent, there are images I can't get out of my head at this point. And I wish they weren't there <laughs> to begin with, like, Damn. like certain, like certain people like dressed as dogs, like doing certain things to body parts that were like created. Uh, I don't even like want to just are like, we, are you talking about fecal matter? No, but there were things similar to that also. Just kind of like certain play that people are into, which is fine. You know, like I'm not judging people for being into things, but it's not my thing. So for me to sit there and watch a full blown fantasy experience of something that does not like do anything for me. In fact, it like very much turns me off and like kind of like is just like, okay, it's not my thing. Like would rather not watch this. I thought it was important enough for you to do that. Yeah. Yeah. So it's just kind of like, you know, things where I'm like, oh, (laughs) <laughs> I want to look away. And even if you did get up, even though it was over zoom, cause it was very, it was close after COVID, even though it was over zoom, they would call us out if you walked away from wow. <laughs> and then you had to break up in groups and you had to discuss what you saw and what you felt about it. So there was no really like escaping it. It was like, it was very interesting. It was very like, Oh shit, this was a little more intense than I thought it would be. I imagine and this like, is, this is the final test. It's the last month and they're like, all right, if you it really was, yeah, it was like the, it thing. was towards the end. It was kind of like, all right, you're going to get really, you're going to see everything that could possibly freak you out or put you in a state, like not even freak you out, but just like show you, this is what people are turned on by. And like, you got to know that you got to be cool with it. Yeah. Like you got to, and, and there's, of course there's boundaries though, where it's like, if I don't want to work with someone who has certain fantasies, you know, I don't have to, right. I have my own practice. I get to choose who I work with and what I help them with. Um, but, but yeah, it just kind of like breaks you down in the sense where it's like, Hey, this is normal for some people. So yeah, you got to not judge it if you were to hear this from someone or work with them. So, well, that's okay. We don't have to do that here. And, uh, (laughs) you know what? No, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of glad that I just ate dinner. So, you know, maybe I'm kind of glad we didn't go into some of those details. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's good. (laughs) Because if there's something that traumatizes the sex coach, I can't even imagine what that would be anyway. So I think it's, I think it's important to know that like, just because I'm a sex coach doesn't mean I don't have my own sexual discomforts or like, you know, things that I find, you know, traumatizing based on my past experiences, you know, like there's some things that bring up some triggers for me 
that I hear from clients that I have to do my own work with, you know, if I'm having discussions about like, you know, for, for example, like choking, if I had an experience where choking was traumatizing with me, cause I was with the wrong partner and it was very scary. It doesn't mean like, I have to be able to still coach my client through an experience, you know, where they're trying to find pleasure in that with a right. partner. So, right. so there's still, and I always share this with my clients. I'm like, none of us are perfect. Like we all have our sex conflicts. We all have sex, you know, insecurities. We all have fantasies that turn us off that we would never, ever want to try and are disgusted by like, that's okay. You know, it's okay that not everything is our thing. And even, you know, with me being a sex coach, I'm not like, I'm still a human, you know? So I have my own experiences just as everyone else does. I'm just a little more aware of like how to respond to them. Right. Have you, have you been tested in this area where you've worked with people or men who've come to you with those kind of more out there sort of, you know, sexual interests and things like that, or really was the worst of it in the actual class that you were doing? Well, I definitely had, I had some people reach out to me saying, just telling me what they were into and what they wanted to do with their girlfriend or something they did do. And one involved a dog where I was like, I can't, talk about this. Like, I'm not going to go there. And then there was another thing that involved a lot of feces, you know? So that was something where I was like, it was like a lot like in, and I'm like, I don't really know where to take you with this. Um, they weren't clients that like I took on as actual clients, but these were like DMS of like, Hey, I really want your help with this. And I'm like, I'm really not the best person to like help you with that. So that's kind of how I respond to them when it comes to stuff that makes me really uncomfortable that I don't even want to go into conversation about. So it's just holding boundaries, right? Like there's always going to be someone else out there to help this person. And if it's not me, that's okay. I don't have to be willing to help every single person with everything. So that being said, what are the things that you generally help men with so they can know to watch your material, reach out to you for help? What are the things that you help guys with the most? So the most is helping them with Dick-related dysfunctions like premature ejaculation, erectile dysfunction, delayed ejaculation. Those are the main three in terms of dick-related dysfunction um, issues that that I work with one-on-one. And then there are um, sexual communication issues where guys have a hard time understanding, just understanding their partner because they don't know the right questions to ask or how to ask questions in order to get an idea of where their partner is and like why their partner isn't wanting sex with them or why their partner shuts down when they attempt certain things. Like, so it's helping them to understand their partner through changing their communication style. Okay. Okay. Got it. Cool. Well, I think now is a good time to get into our topic, right? We're talking about sexual chemistry. So all of you who are here, uh, check out Stephanie on YouTube. You can type her into the YouTube search and you can follow her there. And we're going to be going over sexual chemistry. And if you guys have any questions regarding anything that she's going to be talking about here or anything in regards to the topic, we're going to be answering those questions here today. So anything that you ask that is not related to the topic, we most likely will not get to. So if you guys start putting in your questions, we'll answer them. If you do a super chat, which I already saw one come through, thank you for that, Rob. Appreciate it. Um, Any other super chats that get chatted today, they will guarantee a question being answered by either myself or Stephanie. Of course, again, let's try to stick to the topic. So Stephanie, take it away. What can we do to try to create sexual chemistry with someone? Well, I think the first major point is being able to, being able to talk about sex yourself. Um, I think when it's, you know, it's, it amazes me how many couples end up together long-term and they're like, we never even like, there was never a time when we openly talked about sex and now it's really hard to talk about. And and I'm like, yeah, clearly, because you never brought it into the relationship from the start. So it becomes more and more awkward the longer you wait. So I always think it's really important for you to be on the same page, not even necessarily the same page, I guess, but just like having a sexual openness where you can talk about sex. You can say the word sex, you know, with with your partner, you'd be surprised how many people can't say the word comfortably. So for you to get clear on what are your desires 
And how can you express these to your partner who you just started being with sexually or your partner that you've been with for a long time, I think are like the main points is like, know who you are and what you crave sexually. What are your desires and be able to share them and create a safe space to share them. So to know yourself and to bring what you know into conversation with the person you're having a sexual interaction with is a huge part of what creates chemistry because that builds trust, right? And a lot of chemistry comes from you being comfortable and trusting the person you're with. So that's a first speaker point. Cool. And I'm just curious here. What if you are somebody who, even before you get into a relationship, before you meet a girl that you like, you are uncomfortable with talking about that. Is that something that you can learn before you start meeting a woman? Or is that something that you just kind of have to go through and do when you're starting the relationship? That's a great question. I think that you, you, in order to, first of all, like understand yourself a little bit more is sometimes as simple as journaling on, okay, what are things that I'm most turned on by? You know, like I give a lot of my initial clients when, the, when a guy first comes to me, I'm like, are you clear on like what actually turns you on and what you crave when it comes to a sexual relationship? Like, what do you actually want? Um, because a lot of guys, their initial response is like, I just want to be able to make her come. And everything is just so wrapped up in like pleasing the woman and make sure they're performing enough to be able to please the woman. And it's this obsession with performing and not much self-education on like, okay, what do I even want to experience feeling good during sex? Because when a guy understands what he actually wants to feel good during a sex experience, then he's not so obsessed with performing. And he actually is, a, is better in bed because he's more relaxed. He's more present. He's, he's making it more of a mutual experience because he knows what he was wanting to do for himself and for her. And when it's more mutual, she feels that, you know, then the woman doesn't feel as much pressure and she's more feeling like it's mutual and it's just a more connected, engaged experience because the guy got clear on what do I actually, what am I looking for sexually? Like, what is my ideal sex life? So I think that's a really important question. If you're like not even dating or sleeping with anyone yet, and you're a little uncomfortable around sex, that's a really great question to start with is like, what, what is my ideal sex life? What does it look like? How would I describe it if I were to bullet point it out in 10 to 15 bullet points? Like, and start getting, start getting curious about yourself and what that would look like if, if, you know, if I had a magic wand and I was like, hey, I could give you exactly what you want in your sex life. What does it look like? Go and start there. Then once you're in a relationship and you have that knowledge because you thought about it and you even maybe you masturbated to it, you got really clear of like, oh, this really turns me on or this is really something that I feel is important for me in my next sexual partnership or a long term relationship. Then, you know, because you know how important it is to your desire and to your self pleasure, you're that much more likely and comfortable to bring it up to your partnership when you're with someone because it's like, Hey, this is important to me. I'm comfortable with it. So I can talk about it easier. And if you start that conversation early, it's that much more likely to attract the right type of woman who is, who can meet you, you know, at that same place of like, Oh, okay. Like I see this is important to you. It's also important to me. Or if it's a woman who totally shuts down the conversation, then you know, right away that you may not be sexually compatible with that type of person. Simply all because you just knew what you wanted. Yeah. 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 That's like, uh, we call that starting with the end in mind, right? Figuring out what it is that you want. We do that too. Uh, in our coaching program, one of the first things that we do is we ask guys, what is it that you're looking for? Because a lot of guys, they don't think about that. And it's really like anything before you want to accomplish some sort of goal, you got to figure out what that goal is. What is it that you're trying to do? What is it that you want? And that way you can reverse engineer to get to that point. So it's interesting because it's so obvious that you're saying this, but even I, not an expert in this field as you are, would never really think of that. And it's like, I guess, wow, that's just with anything is knowing what you want. And I like that too. Just, I'm just summarizing what you're saying. Cause I'm also digesting it as well. It's just, okay, know what you want. So then when it comes up, you can talk about it. You can speak about it. You're clear on it. You're not awkward with it. And, and also, I don't know if you said this, I'm sure there's some sort of acceptance mode 
as you go through it, because maybe you feel some shame for liking something that you like. So maybe there's something going through you where you're like, all right, I got to be okay with myself and still respect myself, even though I might have something that I want in the bedroom that might be out there, or maybe I think it's out there and it's not. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's so much shame tied to sex. Just what is that? Is that from, is is that just from religion, society? Yeah, it's, I mean, it's a mix, especially religion. Like the, the amount of clients I've worked with who, who struggle with premature ejaculation, especially because they've had to rush their masturbation from a very young age to not get caught because it was so bad. Um, It was so bad, right? Like they were bad. If they did that, they would go to hell if they masturbate, you know? So with this belief of you're a horrible person, if you self pleasure, you're, you just rush through it and you're mindless about it because you just want to get it over with. Cause it's this physical need, but you also feel very bad and horrible doing it. So growing up, you know, turning from, from child to adult, even if you let go of this belief, your body is still in this habit of rushing, which keeps PE there. And the shame is not worked through either, you know, just because you're like, all right, I'm not going to believe that anymore. You still have the shame with you in, in different ways. So it's like, you know, a lot of that is, um, I'm going off on a tangent a little bit, but like the amount of guys I have to work through the shame with to get rid of that sexual shame so they can feel free and actually good about their sex lives is like 80% of guys I work with is just like, I feel like a bad person doing this, which is wow. very interesting. Okay, cool. Uh, great. So let's, con- yeah, let's continue. I mean, I think another another thing that has to do with chemistry and just like feeling, feeling like sex is an easy, first of all, I mean, you mentioned like, it's, it's just like any other part of life. And it really is like a lot of us forget that because we're told it's, it's funny because we're told we're supposed to be amazing. We're taught just society wise that we're supposed to be amazing in bed, right? We should just know, we should just know how to pleasure partners, especially men have this pressure. Like you should just know her body. You should just know what to do. Just be a man and do it. Right. And it's like, how do you know her body if you don't ever ask her anything? Like, how do you just when every body is different and every woman is different and prefers different things? How are you just supposed to know without communicating? Like you're not, you know, but but we're not taught this. So we just assume, oh, well, sex should always be this amazing, perfect thing that always leads to orgasm and always feels good. But it's just like any other part of life. If you don't communicate around it, if you don't work on the conflicts that arise with it. If you don't practice it, you know, you don't learn different skill sets, then you won't feel confident in this area of your life. So we do have to treat it just as we treat finances, just as we treat health, just as we treat other relationships. It's something you have to work at. You have to be mindful of. It's not just going to come naturally where you feel amazing about it unless you put in some work. So with that being said, there's also conflicts, many conflicts that come into your sex life. And these conflicts are normal. And I just see so many couples like so bent out of shape because they're like, you know, we, we don't want to talk about sex in a bad way. Cause then that will make us feel bad about our sex life. And I'm like, you're just having a conflict. You just got to work through it together. You know, like it's not necessarily bad that there's mismatched libido. You just have to understand why there is. So you can figure out a method to work together You know, so there's so many people afraid, like terrified of sex conflicts, feeling like I'm not normal or like this isn't right. We shouldn't be having sex problems. Sex should always be great, but it shouldn't. It's it's just like any other part of life. Like if you have a conflict, figure it out, talk it through and find action steps to work on it together. Like that's it. So I think it's important for for, you know, the majority, the great majority of people to realize, hey, conflicts are normal, like especially around sex. It's it's okay. Do you think sexual chemistry is something that is created or is it already just there between two people, especially when they first meet? Um, Well, I think it's what's interesting when people first meet is there's this whole concept of like fireworks, right? And like, oh, I have to feel like the chemistry and it has to be so strong. But in the studies they've done in the longevity of marriages and strong relationships, and this comes from, this comes from John Gottman, who does like the biggest studies on marriages long-term out of any psychologist. He shows that what creates the longevity is working as a team, like two people being really good friends, working as a team and managing conflicts quickly. 
together. They, they don't have any less problems than the average couples. They just work on the conflicts as quickly as possible. So they have just as many. They just dissolve them very quickly because they see them as normal. So what happens with a lot of people is they wait for that. They look for that initial like spark or like crazy chemistry in the beginning. And they're like, oh, I need this to show that we're sexually compatible. When really most sexual compatibility comes over time with trust, you know, like I said before. So it's like building trust in your partnership, like becoming very, becoming friends, becoming teammates. Because if you don't feel like you're on the same team, you can't handle hard conversations together. And sex brings about hard conversations. So if you're just leading with this, it it is the hard conversation. Can yeah. Be. Yeah, it is. I mean, for most couples, this is like, this is a big deal. Like sex is a huge deal and it's a huge thing that pulls people apart. Right. But if you're going into relationships solely relying on spark, that spark will fade unless you have a strong foundation of, Hey, we're friends. We're going to build trust together. We're going to build a friendship together to prove that we can work through the tough things. And that actually creates more heightened chemistry versus just leading with that, leading with that spark that will fade if you have no baseline of, of a strong connection. I would even add, I'm curious if you agree that you can also go into a relationship, a date, a situationship, whatever it is, and you do have that spark. And then you say, oh, well, great. We have the spark. And then you, you don't work on the things that you need to work on and you let the spark carry, you know, that hot and heavy feeling that you get when you first dating, when you're first dating someone, you let you, you were, you let that carry you through the relationship and eventually that dies. It's inevitable, right? The death of that is inevitable. It will occur. Right. And like that spark has a mortality, like Mm -hmm. by 18 months, that is not going to be even close to what it was in month one. So Mm -hmm. I would say that you should be working on some of the things that you need to be working on the communication, whatever it may be, the things you're listening today as soon as you can really. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and, and to be mindful of what's actually connecting me to this person besides sex, you know, because if you're just like having a crazy set and you're like, Oh, but the sex is so good. If you're looking for a long-term partner, you have to be aware of like, okay, but what else is there? you know, that's, that's connecting me to this person, because I have to understand that, that sexual desire and that like butterfly, crazy spark, lustful feeling, like you said, it has a more, like it's going to go, it's going to go. So you have to, you have to trust it's going to go. And I think that, you know, it was really interesting for me personally to have an experience where I was dating so many people based on the spark. And when I, when I met my boyfriend now, I didn't feel that initial like butterfly feeling. And I was like, why is it? Why is, where's the butterflies? Like, where's that like uneasy feeling? Because I felt so stable with him and we were such good friends before we, before we created a more romantic relationship. And it was literally the first partnership where I was like, like a light went on and I was like, Oh my God, like, this is like, I feel so like actually safe with him. Like I can actually, like trust him. And like, he, he was very set on building a friendship before a romantic, crazy sexual connection too. And I, at first I disagreed with it because I'm like, but all my past relationships, I relied on spark. And I'm like, well, maybe that's why they didn't work out. (laughs) Maybe that's why, like, you know, after a while I got bored of the person or I got fed up with him or I got frustrated and, you know, we broke up. So it was really interesting for me to actually recently have that realization about the whole spark butterfly thing. I bring this up a lot. There's a book called The Happiness Hypothesis. And in that book, there's this one little section. Maybe, maybe it's a whole chapter. I read it a long time ago. But I do remember one part of it that said there was data behind relationships that burn really bright fast, that are really intense, uh, you know, usually sexually. And just, oh, you really like the person. Like, it's just so intense. Those tend to not last. And I believe that's kind of what you're talking about here is, you know, you're, you're looking for that spark, you're looking for that crazy high. Whereas I've had the same thing relationships I've had in the past that had that insane spark in the beginning where you're like, Whoa, you start thinking crazy, irrational thoughts. Like you, you think you're in love with them. You think this person's going to be with you forever. 
And you like then, imagine your wedding and like, <laughs> like your brain yeah. just goes to like this crazy dopamine rush place. Terrible. And, and those, those tend not to last. And yeah, it's definitely, that, that is a really good, I'm glad you're bringing this up because that is a good thing to say here is that green flag. If you're, if you just meet a woman and it's not that intense, of course you got to feel something. So it shouldn't be like, yeah. wow, this is really boring and I feel nothing, but I listen to Trip and Stephanie. Should I like keep going? Like, no, there has to be something there, but it does not need to be the most heated thing in the world. And if it is, I would actually be careful. Like we're saying, yeah. Like, to, like basically, what we're saying is, if the sexual chemistry is almost too good, and it's so intense right off the bat, I'm not saying dodge it or ditch it, but definitely be wary. Yeah. Yeah. Be mindful of it because if you're leading with that, you know, chances are very, very slim that it's going to last long-term. Right. Uh, I'm curious. So you and your partner were friends. Mm -hmm. How long were you friends for? Like, did you put him in the friend zone? Did he get out of the friend zone? What, what, how did this situation occur? No. So we met through a mutual friend and we built a partnership based on us both being very curious about business and just our business. Like we're very passionate about our businesses. So it started off to be very much like, Hey, let's talk, let's have like zoom calls and talk about work and like what we're doing and how we can help each other out. So it was very much, you know, about coming from that place. So it eventually turned into, Hey, we should meet up in person. I'm going to be in California. You know, you want to meet in person. And it wasn't like until a year that we met in person. And then we met and he felt sparks the first time. I didn't really feel any sparks the first time. And he like gives me shit for it to this day. But then like, but then I went home and I remember like zooming him when I got home and I felt something and I was like, Oh my God, maybe this could be something. And it just, from there, we just met again. And then, yeah, before you know it, we were dating long distance for, for almost a year. And then he moved in with me. So it did start out with this foundation of, of, you know, friendship. And he, he stressed that to me, like directly, he was like, I want to make sure I'm really good friends with the next person I end up dating and being sexual and romantic with, because my past relationships have not worked out doing the opposite. So he had the realization and shared it with me. And I was like, I don't know about that. I like, you know, I want my partner to be like, I sex is really important to me and blah, blah, blah. You know, so I was misreading it. I was seeing him saying like sex wasn't important, you know, and that's how I was interpreting it. And he's like, you know, that's not what I'm saying, you know? So I had to do some, some of my own work to understand like, okay, you know, friendship is important. It's kind of, it's creating that baseline for you to be able to, to explore, you know, things sexually that may be uncomfortable or maybe out of your, you know, out of your comfort zone and try new things helps you talk about hard topics, you know? So that friendship really has taken us through, you know, so many things already experiences with my health, with our sex life. Like it's just so easy to talk together because we have such a strong foundation of friendship. And it sounds like he knew what he wanted and he implemented that when he first met you. Speaking of what we were saying earlier about starting with the end in mind. Yeah. He was very set on that. He was like, I'm not going to have it any other way. Like I have to be really like, we have to be best friends first. And I was like, dude, (laughs) like like at first I was like annoyed. I was very annoyed with it, but he wasn't swaying like at all. So I was like, all right, I got to think about this. And I took the time to understand where he was coming from. And I was like, this could make sense, you know? So I wasn't perfect and like totally understanding either. I had to like put my ego aside and put everything, all of my fears and everything and actually look at it for what he was saying. And I was like, according to research, this actually makes sense. So I have to try it out at least. And how long have you guys been together now? We were dating long distance for about a year um, before we made it exclusive, which is about a year. So we've been exclusive for a year, but when we were doing long distance, we didn't want to, we were just open to still dating other people. We didn't, cause we didn't want to be long distance and, you know, be doing the exclusivity. So that was a decision we made together and it felt right. Yep. Okay. Got it. Um, I want to go back to a comment I read her here earlier. I'm curious what you have to say about it. Someone said here, women don't like to be asked what they want. You have to know uh, regarding sexuality and, and things in the bedroom. What are your thoughts on that? Mm. My thoughts on that is that you, a, a woman's body 
especially a woman's body changes very often. Like there, women will have preferences at different phases of life. And it's unfair to expect your partner to know where your body's at and what brings you pleasure. Um, that's just not fair. He's not a mind reader. He, he's not just going to know. And women are very different too in what they like to experience pleasure wise. When I hear a woman say something like that, how I interpret it is that there's a lack of self-knowledge in what you really find pleasurable. So you feel a little insecure, maybe shy communicating it directly. And I, I think that society has set us up that way. Like we haven't been taught that it's easy and natural to be like, Hey, just so you know, like I, next time it would, it would feel a lot better if you did it this way instead, you know, could you do that? Like that doesn't, it's not hard to do, but we've been taught that it's hard and awkward and weird. And, you know, I think if the, the more direct you can be with your partner, the more pleasure you can experience because you know that you're giving them a direct, you know, line of communication where it's like, I like A, B and C. And he's going to feel that much more confident taking in that information because you're so specific and direct about it. And you're going to feel like you're honoring yourself when it comes to pleasing your body because you're being very direct and forward in what you like. You know, it, does, it doesn't have to be this awkward thing. Like you could be you could be having sex and actually make it really sexy for you to give commentary about like maybe adjusting where his head is or like what he's doing with his fingers. Like, And then if you don't want to do it during, then after just be like, Hey, I really loved when you did this, but like next time you finger me, could you do it this way instead? Like that feels a lot better for me. Well, it was a guy who was saying this to be clear. Oh, it was. Yeah. So I think we're a little mixed up. So he was saying, um, which I disagree with. I think he's just saying things um, because he's hearing it from other people that. Oh, so he was saying women don't. Yes. Okay. I mean, but still it's (laughs) kind of. Rewind. You know, women, he said women just expect men to know. I think maybe there's a few. I think I think most women will be totally open to that as long as they're pretty comfortable. And these days, women do know what they want, especially in the bedroom. And they'll tell you if you ask. They might not tell you if you don't ask. I don't know. Maybe some will. But um, yeah, no, I, I, mean, I, I don't think that kills the vibe either. I think you can totally ask. I don't, but what do you think? Yeah. I mean, it's really... Um, I'm so glad I shared that perspective because there are, there are quite a bunch of women who do, cause it, working with men, like I hear all the time that he asked her what she wants and she's like, I don't know. You should just know. I don't know. But it's like, if you don't know, how is he going to know? You know? And like, so there's definitely, there's definitely women who are, who feel very awkward um, expressing themselves sexually because they simply don't explore themselves enough. They don't masturbate enough. They don't understand where their body's at. And then there's a, many women also, like you said, Trip, that are very, like, actually want you to be asking them questions because it opens up that, that line of communication for directness. And there are so many, like, there's such a big orgasm gap. Like, like studies are showing that there's 90% of men who are who are reaching an orgasm during sexual encounters compared to a 60% of women. Like that's a pretty big gap, you know? And the reason is there, there's so many guys obsessed with penetration and getting women off vaginally. The majority of nerve endings are not in a woman's vagina. They're in the clitoris, you know, the, the equivalent of the penis is the clitoris. So when it comes to pleasure, so men have to keep that in mind and, move the ego aside to realize, all right, I have to talk to her and understand how she likes to be stimulated most because there are some women who like to feel like a very rough, you know, play. And that's what gets them. That's what gets them off. That's what gets them the best orgasm. Some women, it's the total opposite and you have to go really slow. You know, some women it's going in a vertical direction, some horizontal, you know, and this can change over time. So that's why like, you know, me as a woman, I used to like vertical more years back. Now it's horizontal. Like, I don't know why it's just like my body changes. So I have to be able to communicate with my partner and for my partner, like for my boyfriend to ask me like what, what I like and to make sure that like, I'm feeling good during our sexual experiences. That means the world to me, you know, cause then it opens up the, the line of communication where I could be like, Oh, actually, like, I don't know. It's kind of interesting because now I like this instead. And I know it was like that, like a few months ago, but now it's this. But like now he knows, at least we both are on the same page, you know? So 
it doesn't have to be as weird as we make yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. Uh, communicating about this stuff is, is underrated for sure. Totally. It, it is something that, and, that, and that's the whole thing, right? It's like what you were saying earlier, it's not the most comfortable conversation. It can be hard to ask questions like that to the girl that you're with, asking her what she likes. It can be hard to be on the other end and answer that question. Or if you ask a girl and then she asks you back, well, now you're going to get it and you're going to feel potentially uncomfortable with what you like. Mm-hmm. So because of how hard it is to discuss these topics and have these conversations, that's kind of like the whole point here and what we're getting at is, yeah, it's uncomfortable and it can be really tough, but it's so much better to have these conversations because how the hell are you going to guess? And then how, how are you going to have that opportunity to create a deeper uh, chemistry with someone sexually? Right. It, it makes it very hard. Of course, exceptions. Yeah. You, you know, you might meet someone and it just, everything works, but that's at first. Yeah. Like you said a second ago, if that goes on at, over time, things might change. Bodies change, mm-hmm. right? People want it different ways at different times because you're getting older and you've been in a relationship for however, however many years. So it really just all depends. But yeah. yeah what else do you have to say on that? I mean, I, I think something else that's pretty interesting that um, that ties into that is that most people are more, they kind of act more free in their sexual expression when they first start having sex with someone. Like, like think about it. Like when you first start because of the, because of the heightened chemistry or fireworks or butterflies or whatever, you're having sex with a new person. You're more likely to do these taboo things or like to, to have the sex be more rough or more like, you know, kind of like, it's just a different type of sex. That's not very sustainable for a long period of time. And as time goes on, it can be very easy to totally, you know, lose that type of play and just fall into this like very boring routine. If you're not constantly talking. So there's so many like confused couples where they're like, I don't get it. In the beginning, it was crazy. Like she was into this. She was giving me head all the time. Now she hasn't, she hasn't sucked me off in eight years. <laughs> like, I don't know why. And I'm like, do you ask her? Do you? No, I haven't asked her. I'm like in eight years, you didn't ask why she doesn't give you head anymore. When you first met, she was doing it every night or once a week. Like you don't just act like, why don't you ask? Like, Oh, she gets so upset if I asked. And it's just like, it's just so interesting how like I wonder um, is he I wonder if when they bring that to you is he assuming she's going to get upset or or they've had actual experiences where they bring it up to their girlfriend or wife and then know that they actually do get upset. Yeah, I mean most most guys have brought it up, but they bring it up in such a weird way that it's like it what? <laughs> like <laughs> what do they say? Like they'll just tell me how they communicate, and it sounds something like like. Yeah, well, you never suck me off anymore. So, like, maybe that's why. You know, like they they have a sarcastic remark of how they bring it up. It's like the worst way to bring up something like that that you passive, want more passive of. aggressive potential. It's passive, yeah. It's it's yeah. passive. It has like an attitude behind it. It's it's not curious. It's not driven by curiosity. It's driven by judgment and like frustration. In which case, she's not going to react well to that. You know, like we don't react well when our partner comes at us, like blaming us for something. We get defensive and we want to shut down that conversation. So there are so many guys that bring up their insecurities this way. And because they're insecurities, it comes across passive and they communicate very out of frustration, which is not attractive. It's not trustworthy um, versus, you know, how I tell my clients to communicate is more like, Hey, babe, you know what I was thinking about recently? Like how we've been, you know, we've been trying to work on our sex life and improve it. I I just remembered like when we used to have oral sex a lot, like when we first met and now we hardly do it. Like, is there a reason why you stopped? Like, is there something you didn't like about it anymore? Like, see how the tone is like, Hey, I'm curious about this. Like casual. Yeah. It's like, it's not that big of a deal. You're just like, you're calm. You're like, you're Mm -hmm. wording it in that way of like, Hey, remember when we used to do that and how we're trying to improve our sex life now? Like, why do you think you're not into that anymore? Like, I'm curious. It's she's not going to get defensive when you come in with that tonality and that approach, because you're not attacking her. You're genuinely trying to understand her. Or if she does, 
now you know you have an issue. Yeah. So you kind of so you kind of can't lose because you're either going to uncover some exactly. red flags. You will learn something. Or, yes, or yeah. some issues with the woman you're with, or you'll get an answer and you'll be able to work through something. Yeah. Yeah. And it's amazing yeah. how some answers are, are as simple as like, well, I'm really afraid you're going to come in my mouth. And I just, I can't, I don't want to do that. And it's like, okay, well, what if I, what if I, you know, pulled out of your mouth, like good 20 seconds before, like, would that make you feel like safer to do it? Okay. Yeah. I could try that. Sometimes it's literally as simple as that after eight years. Like it's amazing what a tweak in a conversation can do for a marriage for a relationship where they've been struggling for so long simply because they kept using the same approach over and over and over. It's interesting too, because when we talk about really long-term relationships, it's not even just sex. That's really tough to talk about. It's, it's any, it's any issue because people just want to avoid confrontation fights because it's more work and people don't want to do the work because it's lazy and it's kind of scary and you don't know what's going to happen from it. But definitely sex conversations takes that whole idea to the next level because it's not just about, Oh, you don't do the dishes anymore. Or, you know, you're always hanging out with your friends. We never hang out anymore. I don't know, whatever it is. It's, it's that conversation that's tough for people to have anyways, because of the shame around it. And how yeah. we don't really talk about those things a lot. We don't have yeah. conversations, you know, there's the, the old cliche about how uncomfortable it is to eventually tell your kids, you know, how sex works in the birds and the bees. They have to call it the birds and the bees. Like it's already starting with this yeah. uncomfortable feeling. Um, you know, it's, I was thinking about this too, is I saw a TikTok on this like a couple of years ago. That was really interesting where someone said, you shouldn't, be using nicknames for penis and vagina with your children. Like if you use whatever, uh, you know, what do they say? I don't know. Your hoo-ha or your, your pecky or whatever, Mm -hmm. just use the real names. And it's funny. You think about that. It's like, why, why wouldn't we just use the real names? Why, why, why haven't I known from the very beginning of time that a penis is a penis and a vagina is a vagina. And and it was all these other names. Like we're already starting off the shame, the shame from the, from the very beginning without, we can't say the real name. Yeah. Can't say it. Like it's a, like it's a bad word, you know? So I, I can see how that just comes into us. And then we, we, you know, this comes into the relationships that we have and that's what makes it hard. But what are some other um, thoughts you had today about creating that sexual chemistry? I mean, I I think uh, a major point that I, I probably brought up already was basically don't, this is so important. Like don't assume that you know everything about your partner's body. Um, Don't assume that she's having that just because she's having orgasms, it means the sex is enjoyable for her. Um, Because even if she, like, I mean, she might be faking it, but even if she's not faking it, there are plenty of women who orgasm multiple times who do not enjoy the sex they're having. Orgasm doesn't automatically mean pleasure and enjoyment. How, uh, wow. You got me there. I never, I never heard that one. How is that possible? Yeah, this is a, this is a big. um, What's that? Is there a term for that? No, there's not. I don't, I don't think so, but I can say firsthand, like, I mean, from personal experience, I was in a relationship that was, that was very dysfunctional and I never felt loved. I never felt treated respectfully. Um, I felt ignored and I can say like the sex, every time I orgasmed multiple times, but I, even thinking about sex with him when I wasn't having sex, like made me like, like, I don't want to do it. Like he's terrible. And I remember like crying after so many sex experiences because I just felt so lonely and so empty. I was still, was I having pleasure in that immediate moment physically? Yeah. But was I mentally hurt and emotionally disconnected and feeling terrible about this relationship? Yeah. He didn't even look at me during sex. He wouldn't kiss me during sex, but I orgasmed a bunch of times. Like, does that mean it was great? No. (laughs) You know, like it was not enjoyable. It was not something I ever craved. It wasn't something I wanted to do. 
it just kind of happened whenever the moment happened. And like, you know, I can own that. I was in a very bad place myself where I didn't have the realization of like, you know, Hey, this is like really bad for me. It took me a while to get out of that relationship, but it was, it was very hard. And I just like, I've heard, I've heard from women who are like, yeah, like I, you know, I have orgasms, but like sex is like, okay. Like I'll have a few orgasms, but like, I don't know. It's not like it's whatever. So I think it's, it's it's not like super connected. Yeah. If you're not connected to the person, even if it's just this sexy connection where you're just meeting for the first time, you know, it's not even like you have to be in a long-term relationship to feel that connection. And that was like that sense of respect, you know, even of just like, Hey, we're both here to have a good time and make each other feel good. Like that's what makes a good sex experience when you're connected, you're having fun and you're focused on pleasure, not performing or trying to like, to do better than the last guy, like, like get out of the competition mode and just like, be there and communicate with the person, like find out what they want. You know, even if it is like a one night stand type thing, like, do you have a toy you want to play with? Like, take it out. You know, like you want to ask her if she wants to try something like just ask, like, you know, see what happens. But I I think it's, it's once again, just important to not assume that, Oh, she's having orgasms all the time. Like our sex is great. You don't know that. So talk with your partner, regardless of you hearing her moan really loud or her body shake and, and ask her like, Hey, it seems to me like you're, you're feeling a lot of pleasure when we have sex. like, it feels really good to you and you're really enjoying it. I just want to make sure I want to make sure that, you know, I'm, I'm doing everything I can. And, you know, if there's any tips that I can share with you, I would love to be open to like share those with you so that I can feel my best too. Like we have to make it a mutual experience that, that feels good for both people. It's the only way to like feel fulfilled. What would you do? What would your advice be for a guy that wouldn't feel comfortable saying those things in in a relationship? Mm -hmm. I would say to create a time and a space for it where it's like, Hey, what do you think? You know, we haven't talked about sex in a while. Um, and I just have a few questions I want to ask you. Like, you want to talk about it later or like, do you have time right now? Like bring it up? Like, Hey, like, let's just do this. Let's just talk. What my boyfriend and I do is we have a a time dedicated like once a month to every six weeks, we call it like, Hey, let's do a check-in. And it's basically like to check in on how we're feeling in our relationship and our sex life. And we're just flat out honest with each other. And it's this time when we could just be like, Hey, we know that our check-ins coming up. We could talk about it then. Like, so it's never like, Oh, when am I going to bring this up? Or like, it's too awkward now. It's never the right time it's not the right time yet. It's never going to be the right time. Like you're never going to feel like, Hey, I have this concern about my sex life. I have to wait for the perfect time. There's no perfect time to bring up something like that other than you scheduling a time and letting your partner know maybe ahead of time to give your both of each other, to give each other some, you know, an understanding of what's coming up so you can be prepared. But really I would say find a way to prepare the two of you for, for just talking about it and have direct questions to ask. If you go in and you're just like, what do you think about our sex life? And that's the only thing you have to ask. It's going to be an awkward conversation, you know, versus if you have two or three specific questions, like, Hey, have you had any like concerns you want to tell me, talk to me about? Like, you know, how are you, how are you enjoying yourself? And what do you think about trying something new? I was thinking ropes. What do you think? Like three very specific things opens that door to like, Oh wow, we could talk about this. Okay. What if they, aren't comfortable even saying any of that. Then start with, start with questions focused on connection, not sex itself. So if sex is too uncomfortable, then maybe it's a matter of pulling back and taking a baby step, which is, Hey, like, I just want to know, I was just, you know, thinking about our relationship and, um, and I just want to make sure, like, I just was reading this book. I was listening to this podcast, make up an excuse, be like, Hey, I was randomly thinking about this, or I heard this on a podcast and it made me want to ask you, and this is a podcast. You're not lying. <laughs> you know, like this is so just saying something like, Hey, I, you know, I heard someone talking about this and I wanted to ask you, like, are you like, what's your favorite part about our sex life? What makes you feel most connected to me as your, your partner? This is what makes me feel most connected to you give an example, what makes you feel most connected to me? So really, and tell me if I'm leaving anything out here. A lot of this is when we're talking about creating sexual chemistry, it all starts with conversation. Yeah. 
I mean, knowledge of knowing what you want and what you want to ask and then taking action on expressing that, communicating it. Right. Knowing it is knowing what it is that you want, being able to communicate it, being able to talk to her about what she wants and she likes. And yeah, I mean, it's not something that where there's some trick or technique to secretly create that chemistry. It's either you kind of have it and maybe you do, or you try to talk to the person, see if you can create it. I would also to add, you, you don't always feel so comfortable with someone in the very beginning. Or I think we actually, you might've said this, you don't feel comfortable with the person necessarily from the very beginning when you're first having sex, because it's the first time you're doing it. So, Hey, maybe you're, you're having an orgasm. Maybe it's all fun, but you know, it starts to get better over time, the more and more you do it. And so that sexual chemistry can just happen over time. And that's all that is, right? It's just the time that, that intensifies it because you two just feel more comfortable with each other. Yeah. Yeah. It's comfort. It's learning each other's bodies. It's having other experiences outside of sex or other conversations that create more comfort and familiarity with the person. You know, it's just repetition. Whenever we repeat something, we're, we're more comfortable with it. We build trust in a person when we put ourselves out there vulnerably. And then we, you know, we have a good experience that creates a lot of trust and a lot of likability. So, so yeah. Right. It's like, as a guy, it's like, all right, we're about to hook up for the first time. And you, if you have an insecurity about your penis size or you have an insecurity about your body and you're with a woman, maybe at first it's going to be a little uncomfortable, but then the more you guys hook up, you're going to be thinking, all right, maybe that stuff doesn't matter as much. And, oh, she is attracted to me. And, and wow, and that, now I'm, I, I'm, I'm seeing that and I can loosen up a little bit and I can enjoy a little bit. And then when you're loosened up and you're having a good time and she's loosened up and she's having a good time, that is a, no pun intended, breeding ground for higher sexual chemistry, right? Yeah. Yeah. Because you're both more in the moment, right? Like whenever you're more present, then you're more zoned in on each other's senses. You know, you're more likely to express yourself verbally and have some maybe dirty talk, right? Because there's a higher level of comfort. You're more likely to touch and explore different areas of the body because there's higher level of comfort. Like you're, you're able to, to just moan more and let out more animalistic, like natural responses, you know? So everything is kind of heightened when mm-hmm. you feel more relaxed. And yeah, I think it's, it's important for guys, especially who are dealing with struggles, like, um, like body image issues about their size or about like, Oh my God, what if I don't get hard? What if I can't last those types of worries? Whenever you have an experience of, of a woman, um, handling it, like it's no big deal. Like really look at that as like, okay, cool. Like that was like, like I did it. Like it was fine. Like it wasn't that big of a deal because what happens with a lot of guys is they have an experience where they treat it like a big deal. She didn't at first. And then they make it a big deal because of their reaction. And then she sees their reaction and she freaks out or has a weird reaction because he's so tense. So I always tell guys like, you got to be prepared if you're dealing with these like dick related frustrations, especially be prepared to respond to them in the most calm way possible so that you can just like write it off as like, okay, that, that was a probably won't happen next time, or I'm going to work on this and I'll be fine because you're that much less likely to have the same experience. If you respond calmly, there's a lot of guys who um, I always, I explain the difference between um, erectile dysfunction and um, erectile dissatisfaction. And what happens with a lot of guys is like, it's, it's pretty normal and common for guys to occasionally lose their heart on during sex. Like that's not that big of a deal. It comes back. Like the majority of the time it just comes right back. Right. But guys, and that's erectile dissatisfaction. They're like, Oh, I'm just like, it's, I'm dissatisfied that that happened. But what a lot of guys tend to do is they zone in on that happening. And they're like, why did I lose my erection? That what that one point during sex? Oh my God, is it broken? Like, is something wrong? Like what the fuck happened? What if that happens next time? And they go into this heightened anxiety mode where it actually leads to erectile dysfunction, where now it's an actual dysfunctioning ha- uh, dysfunction happening every time because of how they perceived it and how they reacted to it that one time when really it was just, their dick being normal. Like, 
So you really want to pay most attention to just like keeping your body calm and regulated and prepared for, Hey, if anything happens, like I'll be fine. Um, and really try to really try to practice that, especially if you're dealing with one of these issues. You know, I, I know there's a lot more that goes into it, but that's just a really important point to keep in mind. Got it. And that's what you help guys with when you're doing coaching mostly. Yeah. I mean, there's, that's just one tiny piece of, you know, all the stuff that goes into coaching around whatever the guy is specifically dealing with. Cause some guys are dealing with something where it's more a partner issue and they're uncomfortable with their partner. And that's actually what's leading to, to dick related issues because of their insecurities in their partnership. You know, sometimes it's like I said, the shame from childhood brought up for religious reasons. Sometimes it's, you know, they're, they're trying to have a baby and they're so nervous and anxious that they have to perform at this time and this date. And, um, and they can't orgasm because there's so much tension and there's, there's no focus on their own body and their own pleasure. So they're not relaxed and therefore they can't get aroused. Right. So there's like all these different things that, that lead to these issues that I help guys with in different ways. Cool. Well, this was some amazing information today. Really enjoyed the conversation. Why don't you tell the guys listening and watching where they can find you in, uh, in, in all the different areas? Yeah. So you could find me on Instagram at Steph Ganowski. Um, that's with a PH. And yeah, we're going to link it in the show notes. You can find my podcast, What I Love About Sex. And you can find me on Instagram at Steph Ganowski. Also TikTok at Steph Ganowski. And yeah. And I have a, a course for, for PE to help guys, especially struggling with PE, um, I have sex meditations, which actually helps men to be more present during their solo practice to prepare for sex with partnerships so that they are more calm and, and emotionally connected and present and actually enjoying their sexual experiences more. Um, so there's a bunch of cool stuff. If you just look at the, the link at my, my different social platforms, my link tree. Cool. And then on YouTube, if you can see here, I couldn't fit the entire URL, but it's youtube.com slash, and then you see it on the screen, Steph Ganowski, two, four, five, eight. Uh, well, thank you. I appreciate it, Stephanie. It was great having you on. Yes, and great. you're going to be, you're going to be, you're going to be doing a video soon for the channel, right? What topic yes. do we decide? Um, sex toys. Okay. That's right. Awesome. <laughs> awesome. And you're going to show some examples. We're doing the one one on sex toys. Great. Um, mm-hmm. well, when, when's the due date? When's that going to be done by? Um, Ooh, put me on the spot here. <laughs> exactly. Uh, well, whatever. Date. Rough, rough estimate. <laughs> um, rough so estimate guy, by next. So the guys can know to look out for it. Yeah. Yeah. I want to have it to you by the end of the week for sure. Awesome. Okay, yeah. cool. Well, thank you. Thanks all for watching and we'll see you next time. Stephanie, appreciate it. You can check out all of her links in the show notes and in the description down below if you're on YouTube. Take care, guys. Thank you. Cool. Thanks, Tripp.